Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. It's an honor to join you for today's devotional. In reality, it's something I never could have imagined, having grown up in a small beach town in Southern California and later as an undergraduate at San Diego State, which was mentioned, where I actually attended on a volleyball scholarship a long, long time ago. Uh, that was before the internet, before texting, before the Instagram. Mobile phones you couldn't carry in your pocket. They were more like bricks, and they cost about $4,000 back then. You listened to music on albums or cassette tapes. Pong was the most popular video game. You'll have to look that up. And, uh, and BYU men's volleyball was still a club sport, and they couldn't offer scholarships, which is how I ended up in San Diego. However, when my eligibility was over, I still needed a few classes to graduate. And by then, I had met a beautiful BYU co-ed named Carol at a young single adult dance in Los Angeles. So they do work. And that was during the summer. So don't, don't avoid the dances. Now, since men's volleyball was still a club sport but played many of the same schools that I had played against in San Diego, I contacted the coaching staff here in Provo, and they were supportive of my playing, which led me to transfer to BYU to play another year of volleyball to finish my degree and to try to seal the deal with Carol. Well, it all worked out as well as I possibly could have hoped. I loved playing in the Smithfield House. Amazing crowd support, and there still is. It was fun. I enjoyed the classes that I took in order to graduate, and best of all, I married Carol soon after the school year ended, about 35 years ago. Well, shortly after the birth of our first child, we moved back to San Diego, where I spent my career and where we raised our family. And who could have guessed at that time that all four of our children and I've been reminded that a son-in-law and daughter-in-law as well would attend BYU, and uh, three of our children have graduated, and our fourth is now in his second year after serving in the Italy-Rome mission. Brigham Young University has had a tremendous impact on me and my family, and I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Thank you for having me. Now, as a lead-in to my remarks, let me begin by sharing a bit of information regarding the role of presiding bishopric, which is not often understood by members of the Church. As a reminder, we're the three little pictures at the bottom of the Ensign Conference issue. <laughs> Just below the First Presidency, the members of the 12 and the 70, with many wondering what it is that we do. Which ward are the bishop of? Well, the presiding bishopric of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the presidency of the Aaronic Priesthood. Each of us is an ordained bishop and we each hold keys associated with the Aaronic Priesthood, as taught in the 107th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, which states, the second priesthood is called the priesthood of Aaron and has power in administering outward ordinances. The bishopric is the presidency of this priesthood and holds the keys or authority of the same. And the office of a bishop is in administering all temporal things. Now, the temporal responsibility that is mentioned includes such things as the welfare and humanitarian work of the Church. You might remember President Nelson spoke about this briefly in General Conference. It includes the design, the construction, and maintenance of temples, which also, thanks to President Nelson, keeps us very busy. It includes the responsibility for all Church finances and investments, including the for-profit businesses of the Church. 
as well as the publishing of all church materials, such as scriptures, manuals, as well as what you see online. In all, there are 14 departments, that church departments that report to the presiding bishopric. If you were to consolidate what we have been commissioned to do as a bishopric into one phrase, it would be prepare the way. With our responsibility for the temporal affairs of the church, along with every employee around the world that reports to us, we collectively fulfill the role that John the Baptist filled when, when he exercised his Aaronic priesthood keys and prepared the way for Jesus Christ. While John prepared the way for the Savior during his mortal ministry, our role is to prepare the way for the ecclesiastical and spiritual work of the Melchizedek priesthood in preparation for the second coming of the Savior. And what I'll address this morning has to do with the statement associated with the word prepare and found in the well-known parable of the ten virgins. In the parable, it's clear that all ten women were anxiously awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom. But we learn in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 25 that upon his arrival, only they that were ready went in with him. Not knowing beforehand when the bridegroom would arrive required all ten virgins to be prepared and ready for his arrival, whenever that would be. And unfortunately, as we know, five were not ready. Are you ready is a question we respond to throughout our lives in some form or another. And could be anything from, are you ready for your final exam, to, are you ready for your date? From a gospel perspective, there are a series of significant events for which we prepare, such as, are you ready for your ordination? Are you ready for a temple recommend? Are you ready for your mission, to be sealed to an eternal companion? On a day-to-day -day basis, we can ask ourselves if we are ready to pray, if we are ready to give service, perhaps give a blessing, or respond to an impression. Now, as you know, President Nelson has frequently spoken of the importance of our duty to gather Israel. In the recently concluded General Conference, he taught that the gathering is an essential part of helping to prepare the world and its people for the second coming of the Lord. When he says prepare the world and its people, he's not speaking of a generic group. He's speaking about you and he's speaking about me, about each of us individually and collectively. In addition, that preparation is not exclusively for the day when the Savior returns, whenever that may be, but rather he's referring to the day when each of us individually will have the opportunity to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to account for our lives, whether we cross the veil before he returns or whether we are still in mortality when that remarkable event takes place. So the question is, which of the virgins will we be? And will we be ready? To be prepared to respond to the question, are you ready, does not mean, are you perfect? And since this is not a contest with someone else, it surely doesn't mean, are you better than your neighbor? It's a matter of doing our best in preparing for whatever is next in our life, planned or unplanned, and relying on the Lord to make up the difference for whatever we lack. The atonement of Jesus Christ, which is both infinite and individual, is designed to make up the difference. The adversary, on the other hand, will do everything possible. He will put up every obstacle he can devise to hinder our progress and keep us from being ready. He wants to distract you. He wants to confuse you and to keep you from fulfilling your divine destiny as an heir of exaltation. As a presiding bishopric, in order to prepare the way and respond positively to the question, are you ready, 
there is one principle in particular that we always strive to apply, and that is to focus on the essential. Significant effort is expended within the various departments of our stewardship to determine the difference between what is good and what is essential. I'd like to share a personal experience that taught me the importance of the difference between the two. Early last year, I had the opportunity with Carol to travel to Jerusalem for the first time on a presiding bishopric assignment. After a few days of meetings at the BYU Jerusalem Center, a day was available to visit the city and the sites associated with the life of the Savior. Well, I have a degree in history, and I'm fascinated with, with where significant events, historical events, took place. I like to try to imagine in my mind what it must have been like in that specific location. Well, we traveled with a wonderful, knowledgeable BYU professor, and I was thrilled as we approached the first site. As we arrived at a certain location, he described how this was where a specific event in the life of the Savior had occurred. And then he said something like, or somewhere nearby. Well, that caught me a bit off guard as I wanted to know exactly where it took place. I wanted to see the plaque in the ground stating this is where the Savior blessed or healed or taught. Well, a bit disappointed, we moved on to the next site with continued anticipation, and you know what happened. I again heard the words, or somewhere nearby. That's when I began to be a bit irritated, and when it happened a third time, I started to become annoyed. I didn't say anything to the professor. When in an instant I received a strong correction from the Spirit, in my mind I clearly, clearly heard the words, Chris, stop it. Stop it now. He had my attention and then continued, it's not where it happened that's important, it's that it happened. Understand? Well, it's an experience that I haven't forgotten and that I've reflected upon numerous times since. And it helped me understand that some things may be nice or even good to know or do, but there are other things that are absolutely essential, especially in our preparation to be ready. The Savior taught the same principle when he dined with Martha and Mary. You remember the event. In, in Luke we read, And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered, cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, just as the Savior distinguishes between good and needful or essential, I'm sure you can think of many things which may be essential for us in our preparation to be ready at any time. Now, let me share just three essentials as taught by living prophets and the scriptures, each of, which, each of which will bless our lives as they are applied. The first is temple worship, the second is the Book of Mormon, and the third is partaking of the sacrament. <clears throat> Since his calling as prophet, seer, and revelator, and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, President Nelson has taught both directly and indirectly regarding the importance of the temple regarding the sacred ordinances in which we participate and the sacred covenants that we make. He's done so directly by what he has said and indirectly by the many temples he continues to announce, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. 
In the most recent General Conference, he taught that the crowning jewel of the Restoration is the Holy Temple. Its sacred ordinances and covenants are pivotal to preparing a people who are ready to welcome the Savior at His Second Coming. Well, in a world that is increasingly secular and spiritually confusing, the house of the Lord serves as an oasis in a spiritual desert. In His house, we find peace. In His house, we find security from the distractions of the world as we are instructed regarding our relationship with our Father in Heaven and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and His eternal plan for the exaltation of His children. Each time we attend the temple, in all that we hear, in all that we do, and in all that we say, in every ordinance in which we participate, and in every covenant that we make, we are pointed to our Savior and Redeemer. As President Nelson continued to explain, the basis for every temple ordinance and covenant, the heart of the plan of salvation, is the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, just as the Lord commanded Nephi to arise and get thee into the mountain, which was Nephi's temple in the wilderness, where the Lord would teach Nephi how to build a boat that would carry his family safely to the Promised Land, we too, through the ordinances and covenants of the temple, are taught what we must know and what we must do to prepare ourselves to be brought into the presence of the Savior and complete a safe return to our celestial home. We all understand that the Lord answers prayers and provides inspiration in a variety of venues. It could be at the side of our bed as we pray, or perhaps as we study the scriptures, maybe as we listen to a general conference talk, or in a variety of other settings. But the Lord has made it clear that there are, as He says in the scriptures, great things reserved for those who are willing to pay the price and be worthy to go up to the mountain of the Lord. Attending the temple, as often as our circumstances allow, and that is an individual decision between each of us and the Lord. But by doing so, it increases our ability to learn and apply what we are taught in the temple. The great lessons of the temple will be written in our hearts and minds, and the associated blessings of temple attendance will be ours as we remember and keep the covenants that we make. President Nelson couldn't have been more clear about the role of the temple in our lives when he counseled, Our need to be in the temple on a regular basis has never been greater. If you have reasonable access to a temple, I urge you to find a way to make an appointment regularly with the Lord, to be in His holy house, and then keep that appointment with exactness and joy. I promise you that the Lord will bring the miracles He knows you need as you make sacrifices to serve and worship in His temples. The second essential is the Book of Mormon. In Preach My Gospel, a manual many of you are familiar with or will become familiar with, an essential part of conversion is receiving a witness from the Holy Ghost that the Book of Mormon is true. Reading the Book of Mormon, praying with real intent to know of its truth, and receiving a witness from the Holy Ghost of its divine origin is good. But maintaining that converting witness, which impacts all that we do and the decisions we make, is essential. Speaking to members of the Church, which was established in the city of Zarahemla, the prophet Alma posed a question which is worthy of our individual consideration when he asked, If ye have experienced a change of heart—which, by the way, is the definition of conversion—and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, Can ye feel so now? To feel so now requires more than an occasional or casual reading of the Book of Mormon. The world is in such a state 
that we need a constant renewal of the spiritual strength and converting power provided by the Book of Mormon, even if we have already experienced a change of heart. Never, never has the great and spacious building described in Lehi's vision of the Tree of Life been more crowded or the noise coming from its open windows more misguided, mocking, and confusing than in our day. In his vision, we read of two groups of people and their responses to the shouts from the building. Beginning in 1 Nephi chapter 8, in verse 26, we read, And I also cast my eyes round about, and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building. And it was filled with people, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers towards those who had come and were partaking of the fruit. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them, and they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. In verse 33, we read of others who had a different response to the scoffing and the mocking that was coming from the building. The prophet Lehi explains that those in the building did point the finger of scorn at me and those that were partaking of the fruit also, but we heeded them not. A key difference between those who were ashamed, fell away, and were lost, and those who did not heed the mocking from the building and stood with the prophet is found in two phrases. The first, after they had tasted, and second, those that were partaking. The first group had arrived at the tree. They stood for a time with the prophet, but only tasted the fruit. By not continuing to eat, they allowed the taunting from the building to affect them, drawing them away into forbidden paths where they were lost. In contrast to those who tasted and wandered off, were those who were found continuously partaking of the fruit. These individuals ignored the commotion from the building. They stood by the prophet, and they enjoyed the accompanying safety and peace. Frequent study of the Book of Mormon allows us to continually partake, keeping us spiritually safe and strengthening our commitment to the Lord and His servants. Failure to do so leaves us vulnerable to those who seek to impede our progress and destroy our peace. Brothers and sisters, the adversary is real. He offers counterfeit solutions that may appear at times to provide answers, but actually take us even further from the peace that we seek. He offers a mirage that has the appearance of legitimacy and safety, but ultimately, like the great and spacious building, will collapse and will destroy all who seek shelter within its walls. Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles reminds us, the Book of Mormon is an incomparable treasure and the instrument of conversion that the Lord has designed and provided for our dispensation. Ultimately, it is not how many times we read the Book of Mormon cover to cover that's ultimately important, but how we apply what we've studied in our pursuit to become more like our Savior. Since being converted to the Lord is a lifelong challenge, our study of the Book of Mormon must be a lifelong pursuit. The third essential, partaking of the sacrament. In the Book of Mormon, in, in the Book of Moroni, we read, And they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. While modern scripture and the Doctrine and Covenants reaffirms, it is expedient that the Church meet together often to partake of bread and wine in the remembrance of the Lord Jesus. You'll notice that the emphasis in each of these passages 
is not the amount of time that we spend at church, but rather on the primary purpose of our worship, the partaking of the emblems of Christ's sacrifice, which is and must remain the essential element and sacred center of the Sabbath. Each Sunday, we are able to have an experience similar to one shared by the survivors of, a, of the serious destruction which occurred at the time of the Savior's crucifixion, as described in the Book of Mormon. We're taught, after descending out of heaven and introducing himself as Jesus Christ, the light and life of the world, the Savior extended an invitation to the multitude, saying, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and have been slain for the sins of the world. After appearing, after approaching the Savior one by one, seeing and feeling for themselves that it truly was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come, we are told that the entire multitude did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God, and they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. Each Sabbath day, in every sacrament meeting, we have the privilege of symbolically taking into our hands the emblems of his death, reminders of his great atoning sacrifice, which was made for each of us. And we can, like those who saw and felt for themselves, shout within our hearts, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. Participating in this sacred ordinance allows us to renew and to make covenants, to be cleansed and to be sanctified by the Spirit, and to help us, as we are taught in the sacrament prayers on both the bread and the water, to always remember Him, which will help us to always be ready. As we do so, we will conclude our Sabbath observance at church not only with the ability and the determination to always remember Him, to keep His commandments, and the willingness to take his name upon us, but also with the greatest gift that God can bestow upon us in mortality, and that is the ability to always have his Spirit as our constant companion. The importance and the essential nature of the gift of the Spirit becomes clear when listening to these words of President Nelson when he warned, in coming days it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Knowing the world we would live in and the absolute need for the Spirit in our lives, our Father in Heaven provided a way for us to be cleansed and sanctified each week, making it possible to head back into the world clothed with the power and influence available only through the companionship of His Spirit. There are some that may view the relatively few minutes it takes to participate in the ordinance of the sacrament as a, as a small thing, perhaps discounting the power and significance of this ordinance, which was instituted by the Savior himself with the command, and this shall ye always observe to do. As President Oaks taught regarding small and simple things, though each of these practices may seem to be small and simple, over time they result in powerful spiritual uplift and growth. This occurs because each of these small and simple things invites the companionship of the Holy Ghost, the testifier who enlightens us and guides us into truth. The powerful spiritual uplift mentioned by President Oaks and associated with the companionship of the Holy Ghost makes it possible for us to accomplish more than we can on our own, whatever talents and abilities we may possess. 
in our efforts to prepare, in our efforts to be ready, we're also provided a sweet assurance in Alma when we are reminded that the Savior has all power to save every man that believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit meet for repentance. The results of our efforts to bring forth that fruit may be visible and demonstrated in our behavior, but the seeds of that fruit are typically planted in private in the quiet moments of decision. More than what is seen in public, it's what we do in private when no one but us and the Lord are aware of our thoughts, uh, the thoughts that we entertain and the decisions we make that will set us apart from the world. Like the servants in the parable of the talents, who were assigned their talents based upon their several abilities, the Lord is not going to ask more of us than we are capable of accomplishing. Thus, while you're here at BYU and beyond, as you focus on the essential and trust the Lord, you will be ready. You will be prepared to take your place, to take your place in a career, in a family, and also to serve in His kingdom. You will be prepared because you were prepared for this time in the history of creation to help gather Israel and prepare for the return of His Son, Jesus Christ. He trusts you. He will also stretch you, which is how we grow. However, in that stretching process, I testify that what Nephi declared is true in words that you are very familiar with when he taught, I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. Brothers and sisters, I know that God lives. I know that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. I know that Joseph Smith saw what he said he saw in that grove of trees and that Russell M. Nelson is God's authorized mouthpiece on the earth today and is indeed a prophet, seer, and revelator. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's kingdom on earth. I testify of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.